Um, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We're really glad that you're with us. If you're a guest with us, I want to especially welcome you. We're honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you or introduce myself to you, and if you have time afterwards, I would love if you stick, stuck around for a few minutes and let me just say hello to you um, face to face. And we're continuing on in John 9. We have a lot to cover today, but let me pray for our time and then we'll jump in. God, as always, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have chosen to reveal yourself uh, to humanity, to us, to your church in your word. So I pray as we um, look at it this morning, as we look at John 9 this morning, that you would um, help us submit ourselves to your word and allow us to allow your word to change us, that we would learn from it, that our minds would be changed, that our hearts would be changed, that the way we live would be changed as a result of your word as a result of looking at your son in this particular text today. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So John 9 is about blindness and sight. It's about being able to see and not being able to see. And it's important, as, as John has laid out this, um, this, these events for us, that we're able to put ourselves in the places of the characters we see in this story. And a part of doing that is really trying to imagine what it's like being blind. And if I'm, if I'm correct, and as I look around the room, I don't think anyone in here is blind right now. So it is important for us to really put ourselves in this situation and try to understand what it would be like to be blind. Imagine not being able to see anything around you. After already seeing, that's pretty jarring to think about how hard it would be for suddenly the lights to go out. It would be disorienting. There'd be some shock coming along with it. And also imagine if you were, had been blind for decades and then all of a sudden you can see when you'd never been able to see before. That would be maybe equally disorienting or shocking that that would happen to a person. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I, I, I was thinking about a scene in a movie, um, the movie Silence of the Lambs, um, that won uh, Best Picture in 1991. Kids in the room, please ask your parents before you see this movie. This is not an endorsement of this movie of any kind. Okay, that's my statement. Um, it is a creepy, dark movie. There's a scene, a famous scene at the end of it, though, when, Professor, when uh, uh, Agent Starling is... is hunting for the serial killer in this movie, Buffalo Bill, and she goes down into his, his hideout. They've discovered it. There's been this big buildup, and she goes into this kind of dark basement, and she can't see anything. And you get to see it from her vantage point, walking in and knowing there's a guy there, a dangerous man. And the feeling you get by her not being able to see and knowing there's danger there, it, it really gets to you. And then they flip it around, and you also get to see what it's like to be her because Buffalo Bill has these night vision goggles on. So you see her grasping and stumbling across the house trying to get her bearings to actually be able to um, arrest this guy and maybe defend herself from what's about to happen. And so that is the best illustration I can give for us feeling like what it's like to be blind. It's difficult for us to imagine. 
Now, in the previous weeks and chapters of John 9, we've, we've looked at 7 and 8, and, both, and all of this is taking place in a festival called the Feast of Booze, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And John 9 is happening at the same time as well. And the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles is a time where the Jews would get together and primarily they were remembering and celebrating God's faithfulness when they were wandering in the wilderness when they came out of Egypt. This was the purpose of the Feast of Booths. And then we get to chapter 9, and again, it's in the same festival, but this whole chapter is about one man's healing. It's about the man that was born blind is now is able to see. John spends over 40 verses wanting us to understand this. So this is an important event in the book of John. And I'll say there are very few people in the Bible that we can just come out and say that we want to be like this person. Like when I've read this and I study this, I want to be like this man. And I don't even have to nuance that statement. Usually when we talk about being like a Bible character, other than Jesus, we often have to to nuance things. Like, okay, I want to be like Paul post-conversion, right? I want to be like Moses, but not kill somebody, right? We always have to nuance with Bible characters, but not this particular case. This is an amazing um, story, an amazing man that we're going to look at today. But ultimately, this story is not about the blind man. It's not about physical blindness that Jesus is healing. It's a jumping off point to show us and to talk about spiritual blindness, something that we were all at least once um, plagued with, spiritual blindness. Jesus is healing this man to show that we have a bigger problem, and that is our spiritual blindness. Like I said, we've all experienced this, experienced this at one point or another in our lives. As we look at this man's story, we're going to see there's only one way you can respond to spiritual blindness to get healing. Only one way. And we're going to see by the end of the story that it's going to be really clear what that way is. Now, this story sets up like a series of interviews, so there's going to be places where I go pretty quick to get through it, but there are different people kind of popping into this man's kind of life here in this season to ask him about what has happened. So let's start with verse 1. First John, uh, he gives us some context. Verse 1, as he passed by, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And even that statement right there, he was passing through. This wasn't a planned kind of encounter for Jesus. As he was passing through, he sees the man. Jesus, is, Jesus pays attention to hurting people. He sees broken people. He sees people in need, and it's not hard for him. He's going throughout life, and it's like, oh, he focuses in on this man who has been blind from birth. Verse 2, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And now Jesus gets a teaching moment, which is often the case in the Gospels, right? They encounter something, his disciples are around, Jesus has a teaching moment here. Well, why are they asking this? Why are they asking about this man who was born blind from birth, right? What what about this situation makes, us, makes them ask this? And this is something, I think this is a pretty natural question, right? It's something we at least think about all the time. And, and this is a, a, a quite a ways before science. A lot has happened in science since then in the last 2,000 years to help us answer some of these questions. But for them, it's just like, why did this happen? Right? Pretty natural. Why did this happen? It, like, why, 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 did this guy, why did this guy come out of the womb blind? What happened to him? What is going on? 
And again, it's not a bad question. And it's also not a bad question concerning their tradition, the Jewish tradition. Listen to Deuteronomy 28, 58 through 59. It says this. This is in the, the Torah, right? Their, their, um, their holy book at the time. If you are not careful to do all the word, words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting and sicknesses grievous and lasting. Right? So we have to admit before we jump in that, that some of the hardship and pain that comes into our lives is a result of our own doing. It's our own sin. It's our own foolishness that brings some of that on. But not all hardship and pain can be trans- traced back to sin, especially generational sin that Deuteronomy 28 is talking about in this passage. Right? So the disciples are really worried about this, kind of the, what's the theological, philosophical reason for this, but Jesus takes them off of that and he places it back on the man. Jesus answered in verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. He wants, to, he, he wants them to zoom out and see God's purposes and not get caught up in trying to understand everything about sin. Not trying to understand everything about brokenness and why certain things happened. And this, the, Jesus' response actually sheds more light on um, John 1, right? the prologue of this book that we've been going through. Let's look at John 1 briefly. Speaking of Jesus, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Remember this light-darkness theme. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So we remember that, and then look at verse 4 in today's text. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, there's that light metaphor again, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Right? So again, Jesus brings back these themes of light and darkness, right? day and night, sight and blindness. Okay? Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Now, some of you are like, Jesus, why? Like, why, why spit? This seems gross. Like, what, what, why did Jesus want to try to heal him this way? Like, we know that Jesus' words can heal. So why did Jesus go about trying to do this? Well, the, the best that commentators can come up with um, is the fact that that he, he's trying to take us back to Genesis uh, 1 and 2, where man create, where God creates Adam, the first man. Remember, we, he creates Adam from the dust of the earth. So Adam was created from the dust of the earth. And so commentators think that maybe Jesus is go, going back to that by taking the dirt, mixing it with saliva, and creating this mud or paste to rub on the man's eyes. But regardless, Jesus heals this man. Verse 8. So this begins kind of this, these people coming into this man's life and, and questioning what's just happened. The neighbors and those who had been seen, verse 8, the neighbors and those who had been seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? 
He was known around town. Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. Verse 10, so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, and he anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. So notice the first step in kind of the man's coming to Jesus, right? All he has at this point is a name. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even know who Jesus is really other than the man called Jesus. It's a very impersonal way of describing who Jesus is. He's just like, I don't know. I was blind and now I see and the man was Jesus. That's, that's his name. I don't even know anything about him, he's saying. And, uh, but he's beginning to be a witness to the works of Jesus. And he has a story now. He's beginning to tell facts about what has happened to him. And we should keep this in mind as we go through this, this, this chapter. This fact that this man has a story because Jesus healed him. He healed him, so he now has a story. Like many of us in this room have stories. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story about how Jesus healed you and saved you. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Okay, here we go. Pharisees are getting involved. Now, it was the Sabbath day, of course, because Jesus just is making him mad, doing stuff on the Sabbath. Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Verse 15, so the Pharisees again asked him, this man, how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I wash, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He's talking about Jesus. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So we know that the Pharisees don't like Jesus healing on the Sabbath, right? They've addressed this in the previous chapters. And one of the reasons is because it's further validating that Jesus is indeed from God. He's the Son of God, and he is God. And this is bothering the Pharisees. So it said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Okay? So think about the situation this man is in. This, this very intimidating religious leaders, the elites of the elite in this city come, and they've got this man cornered. They're kind of pinning him down, trying to decide, what happened to you? What's going on? And he, all he says, I don't know. This is what's happened, and I think he's a prophet. Right? And now he goes from knowing Jesus' name. Remember, first it's like, yeah, it's a man called Jesus. That's all I know. And now he's understanding a little bit more. He's a prophet which is true, it's not complete, right? There's a lot more to Jesus than he's a prophet, but the man is on the right track. His faith is progressing and growing. Now the Pharisees go to his parents, verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. Now this is turning just into a full-blown trial, right? They're bringing his parents, kind of putting them on the witness stand. They're grilling them, verse 19. And they asked his parents, is this your son? who you say was born blind. How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But but how he sees, we do not know. They don't want to take too much responsibility here, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Verse 22, John tells us here, his parents said these things because they had feared the Jews. So they were scared. They lacked a little bit of courage here. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Verse 23, therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. He can can talk for himself. 
So now the Pharisees go back to the man a second time to question him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. This idea of giving glory to God, they're basically like, tell the truth. And I know what happened. We know what happened to you. Tell the truth. Stop lying. Give glory to God. Don't take away God's glory. Tell the truth. And they aren't really interested in the truth. They have their truth, right? They, they have their truth. They, they know what's good. They think what's right. They think they have it all. They have it all. They have the market cornered on truth. And they want him to confirm what they believe is already true. And he's not. Because it's not the truth. And we can be guilty of this as well, right? With this idea of confirmation bias, right? We have an idea of what truth is in some areas. And we go to different places to try to confirm that truth instead of starting with, with zero truth or the ultimate truth in the scriptures, which is why the scriptures are so important in trusting this is the ultimate source of truth. This is the ruler and the measure of all other truth, and it should, it should come under the scriptures. But oftentimes we have these things of, that, we, that we grab onto and say, this is going to be truth now for me, and then we try to make things fit into that idea of truth. We are as guilty as the Pharisees are. But they want him to say the things that they believe are true. Now, what happens in the next several verses make, again, this man one of the most attractive people, at least for me, in all the Gospels. Verse 25, he answered, the man answers the Pharisees here. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, is that now, though I was blind, now I see. It's like, period. That's my story. That's what happened. First-hand experiential evidence amongst witnesses as well around him. He doesn't have it all figured out. He couldn't pass a theology test at this point, but he has a story of how Jesus changed him. It's important for us. Those of us who have been changed by the gospel, we have a story. No matter how much you know, no matter how much education you have, no matter how many books you read, uh, Bible you've memorized, you have a story if you are a follower of Jesus. And he's telling it with boldness. He's being direct. He's coming right at the Pharisees. Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he, again, he's told them. They've heard this several times now. Now he just gets snarky, and I love it. Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Wait, do you want to become one of his disciples too? And oh, like he, he knows at this point like that was going to set them off, right? Because of course they don't want to become his disciples. They hate Jesus. But he's inviting them to become one of their uh, disciples. It's, I think it's awesome. Verse 28, and they reviled him. They're mad, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Right, thinking that that's like the trump card, right? Like they're respectful, upstanding, religious folk. Of course, Moses is who they're following. And this is uh, St. Augustine. I love this quote. He says, he says, may such, what, what they said to the man in verse 28, Augustine says about it, may such a malediction or a curse be upon us and upon our children. I right, say, may we be spoken of like the Pharisees spoke of this man. That, oh, you're terrible, you're awful, we don't believe you. Oh, well, you're a disciple of Jesus, and I, we're disciples of something else, right? And Augustine, Augustine's like, yes. May that be the case for all of us. May everyone be saying, no matter how mad they are at us, how much they disagree with us, that, yeah, you're following Jesus. That's a really good thing to be known, known for. Verse 29. We know that God has spoken to Moses. This is the Pharisees again. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why 
Why is this an amazing thing? You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Right? Like they think, again, they, they know all things. They know all sources of truth. They know all the teachings, and so they can't figure it out. Right? They can't figure out how this fits. And he was like, why is this amazing? Like This man just healed me, this amazing, miraculous, and you can't figure it out. And you guys are the, the studied ones. You guys are the educated ones. Verse 31, <clears throat> we know that God does not listen to sinners. This is a man. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Their pride gets to them, and they're like, we're done with you. We don't want to hear any more from you. And remember, this man just met Jesus. And commentators will say those last few verses we just read, yeah, maybe the theology needs a little work, and we have to sort through a lot of those things he just said in those verses, and what does that actually mean? But John isn't including these verses, the ones we just read, the last two or three verses, to show us uh, w- what we should think about God and Jesus, right? John has done that. John is, is, is sharing this and includes those facts to show the beauty of this man's simple faith as it relates to the complicated and complex and overthinking and knowing a bunch of stuff but not being obedient to the things we know, knowing a bunch of stuff but not being a loving and compassionate person, right? This is why John is highlighting this, that this man is going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and sharing what he has, sharing what he knows, the simple faith, and now that he has a story. And again, notice the progression of the man. This man called Jesus, he's a prophet, Now in verse 33, he says, if this man were not from God. So now he believes that that Jesus is from God. Okay, That Jesus is God. He is a son of God. The man ends up losing community. He's cast out. He's marginalized. He's pushed out for this story that he has now, for what he's experienced in Christ. But Jesus comes to him. He comes to him. But the man's honest. He knows what he doesn't know. Right? He doesn't try to make excuses. He, do, he just tells his story, and, and he doesn't have all the answers for the Pharisees. And then verse 35. Now Jesus comes back in the story here. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, probably from his disciples. Right? It doesn't seem like Jesus was there during this whole thing, but maybe his disciples came back to him and told him. But he heard about it, and it says, in having found him. So Jesus went looking for him. Right? He heard what had happened, and Jesus goes and finds him again. Awesome of Jesus to show compassion to this man that just went toe-to-toe with the Pharisees. And he finds him, and he says to him in verse 35, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe? That's, that's all Jesus wants to know. He answered, verse 36, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He wants to know more. He's curious. He wants to learn. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Right? So remember, this man was born, he was blind, Jesus rubs on his eye, rubs his eyes. He goes in, washes, and then he can see. So this is the, probably the first time he's actually laid eyes on Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm he. I'm the Lord. I'm the Messiah. I'm God. And he's standing face to face with this man. It's just a beautiful scene of Jesus finding him in his distress after he stood, stood his ground in his faith and his story. He confesses his belief in Jesus. So again, he's gone. Verse 39, we'll get to that here in a second. Jesus said, 
Now he's talking to some others who've come around. For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. This is the biggest clue that this story is actually not about physical healing. This story is about uh, spiritual healing, spiritual blindness. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. He's saying, because you're so prideful that you have your version of the truth, that you won't let go, that Jesus, I'm standing face to face with you and talking to you and doing miracles among you, and you still don't believe. So yes, you're blind. It's basically what Jesus is saying. He's telling them they're without excuse. They have the law, now they have Jesus, the Messiah, standing amongst them, and, and we're, no getting, we're no different, right? We have God's word. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the bride of Christ, the church, other brothers and sisters around us. So we are without excuse when it comes to knowing him. Do you know him? And it's not because he hasn't revealed himself to us. He has revealed himself to us in those areas. So how do we respond? We've looked at the, the, the story here. How do we respond? This is John's point of putting this in here, right? At the end of John, he says, that you may believe. I write these things to you so that you may believe. So he wants us to respond in belief. But let's talk about how to respond here. Um, really, there's just two ways. We can be humble enough, and here's a list here. You can go and put that first one up here. First thing is be humble. Be humble, right? Are you humble enough to admit that you are blind? All of us, at some point in our lives, we have to admit that we are blind and we need a Savior um, apart from ourselves. That we cannot be reconciled to God apart from Jesus and belief in him. Just like the man, right? He was, his eyes were open and he believed in Jesus. He has revealed himself to all of us. Do you believe? Especially those of you in here that don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. Maybe this is the day that you believe. Maybe through, through looking at this text, your eyes have been open and you want to profess faith in Christ. And please do that today if that describes you. But here's the deal. Even if you're um, a follower of Jesus here today and you're, and you're saved, we can still have spiritual blindness in some areas. We can have blind spots in some areas. So we have to remain humble in this area. We have to remain teachable. We have to be quick to repent when we do something wrong, when we're aware of that. Another way to say it is, what is your posture towards Jesus? You can have the posture of the blind man. You have a story. You're confident in your story. You know your story. Maybe you don't know everything about the Bible yet, but your posture towards Jesus is one of, of, of worship. And that's what we see at the end here. G the man worshiped. The man worshiped Jesus. Or you can have the posture like the Pharisees kind of maybe religious, maybe do all the right things externally, but your heart is full of maybe hatred for certain groups of people. You're not willing to love people unconditionally. Maybe there's certain pockets of your life where you're still a Pharisee, and we need to repent of that and have the posture like this man. Paul in Romans 13, this is written to the church, remember, followers of Jesus. In 11 and 12, he says this. Besides this, and this is here the urgency in Paul's writing here, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. He's saying, wake up. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. 
Salvation talking about when Jesus returns and, and, and everything is completed, right? Verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Because Jesus has come, he's been raised from the dead, he ascended back to the Father at this moment. And he's saying, so then, let us cast off the, out, off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. There you see that dark light metaphor coming up again. First John chapter 1, this is the same John that wrote the, the letter we're looking at. He writes another letter here. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. There it is again. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say, the church, Christians, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk, walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. There's a humility again. If you say you're without sin, you deceive yourselves. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, say, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Right? So the first step is being humble, and we see that clearly in the story. Second thing, worship, right? Worship. We see that the man went from a man called Jesus to he is a prophet to, oh, he is from God. And in verse 38, he says, Lord, I believe. He confesses belief. He says, Lord, I believe, and immediately after says, and he worshiped. His belief led him to worship. So if we're believers in here, if we're followers of Jesus in here, we say we believe the gospel, we are worshipers. And he is our, he is our aim in worship. He is our target in worship. So does, does, your, does Jesus healing you from spiritual blindness, does it lead you to worship? Does it? When you think about Jesus opening your eyes, Apart from anything you could do yourself, does that lead you to worship? Does that lead you to say, gosh, I was blind and now I can see Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. This is how we worship Jesus in response to what he has done for us. If you're still struggling with kind of having that emotional connection to that, to actually having that desire for worship, Think about when the lights have gone out in your life. And this is a small kind of piece of this. It's not a, it's not a great metaphor, but imagine lights go out. Maybe you, lo you lose power at night. There's no sunlight. You lose power in your home, and you're not expecting it. You don't have that flashlight there, and it just goes dark. There's this, like, ugh. There's just this moment of, like, oh, no, I can't see anything, and you start, like, trying to find... Um, things, and, you know, I'm always the guy, you know, person turns on the light switch and then goes into a different room looking for the flashlight, and I turn on another light switch, like, okay, the power's out, dude. Like, you're looking for the flashlight, you're stumbling, and you're banging into things, and then, and then the light, the, the power maybe comes back on, and you're like, oh, right? All that, that, that gasp of relief, that's just a small, tiny piece of the way we should feel when, we've, when our eyes have been opened, and now we can see um, Paul is a great metaphor, being knocked off, um, knocked off and, and, being in, and, and, and God removing the scales from his eyes so he can see. Does, does the mystery of the gospel captivate you? Right? When you think of, like, how could a man love a sinner like me? Like, that's just mind-blowing. And you rest in that, and you think about the mystery, and that compels you to know more. It compels you to be curious about Jesus and to spend time with him. 
The third thing we need, third here, is, is to spend time in community or live in community. Right? We all have blind spots. Like blind spots, by definition, are things that you don't know are there, right? So I'm telling you, all of us have places of weakness. All of us have corners of our life that we're guilty of sin still. And we have to have other people. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is the largest example here, right? But we also need our brothers and sisters in Jesus to be able to gently point out where our blind spots are at and lead us to repentance in, in, in concert with the Holy Spirit, right? So do you have those kinds of relationships with people who will point out your blind spots, who will help you navigate life a little bit better? We need this. We all have blind spots. Ask your spouse. Ask your roommate. Ask your, even your, your kids, right? <laughs> be careful with that, right? Hey, where does mommy or daddy need to grow as a mommy or daddy? You better be prepared, right? You better get ready for that answer, right? Um, but seriously, maybe a question is, um, how do people, maybe asking your spouse, imagine asking, and, and I'm asking you to do this. Do this this week, right? A- ask your spouse or your roommate, hey, how do, how do people experience me when they're in a room with me? It's a really good way to put it, right? And, 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 and there's probably some really good when, you, when you're in a room with people. There's also some probably negative things when you're in a room with people, right? How do people experience you? One, just to be transparent up here, right? One of the things that Nicole has to consistently remind me of, especially as it relates to our boys, is, is my patience, is my tone, is my, like, like how quick I can get kind of frustrated with them. And that kind of goes along with, with my, my, my deep voice and the way I'm, I'm built, you know? I'm what people would call big boned, right? Um, God has given me a big physique, and, um, and I have a deep voice. And so that, that goes probably with people that aren't my kids as well, and I've been told that. So part of coming, maybe come, being, getting frustrated or coming um, rebuking or challenging someone, I need to remember I'm a larger individual, and I have a deep voice. And especially little six-year-olds, I need to get down on their level, I need to soften my tone, and I need to speak to them gently, or it is scary. And the last thing I want is my, my boys to be scared of me, right? I don't want that. I don't want them to be fearful of me, but I want to also get my point across in those situations. So, um, again, the question, how do people experience me when I'm in a room with them? Four, um, we should share our story with other people. Hopefully this is clear. I don't have to explain this a lot, but this man did not play it safe. They asked him, how do you know Jesus or What's your relationship with God? Or all the questions that maybe were asked in, 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 in contexts like this, the man didn't back down. Now, again, he stayed on primary issues, right? He didn't, he didn't pick fights on secondary issues here, but he told his story, and he was super, he was grounded and direct and bold about who Jesus was. Oh, no, you're saying Jesus is this. This is who Jesus is to me. This is what's happened to me. This is what I know about Jesus. Are we the same? Are we bold around people maybe who don't know him and are asking us questions, right? Or do we shrink back and kind of soft play things, even our own testimony? We shouldn't. It's our story. It's how Jesus has saved us. We should be bold with how Jesus, through his spirit, has changed us. And again, in the world we're living, this is probably going to get a little bit more challenging even than it has been in the past. Like, we're not going to probably be in Norman, Oklahoma. If you stay here, we're probably not going to have physical persecution, we're probably not going to get thrown in jail for what we believe, but we probably will, maybe in our workplaces around people that we spend time with. This could be um, an example of persecution. People, you're, you cast, getting cast out. You lose friend groups. You're cast out of social circles. You maybe lose your job. 
right? This could happen, the same things that happened to this man. So, again, he's not arguing secondary, real, or tertiary issues here. This is primary for him. This is who Jesus is to me, and he saved me. And yet, it, it got him cast out. And last, the principle that comes out of this is we live in hope of a new creation. Anytime you're talking about blindness, blindness being restored, we don't full, feel its full effects now. Right? Not all has been made right. We don't see clearly. We see now, but we don't see God clearly because we're still in this wor- world. We still have sin that clouds our vision. But one day in the future, we know that all will be made right that we will get to experience relationship with God because of our belief in Jesus. And we need to allow the hope of that, kind of the taste of the seeing that we do have here, right? The, the, the sight that we do see spiritually here, let that be a taste for us, a preview or a trailer for what is coming. The hope we're going to have in the future when all blindness, physical and spiritual, will be healed for those who are in Christ. I want to end with this. A verse from Amazing Grace, because what better writing could um, kind of encompass this, this passage? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Pretty humble there, that line. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for Again, revealing yourself in your word, we're thankful for your son, that he came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save the blind. He came to seek and save those who wanted nothing to do with you. You came to save, you sent your son to to, to save and heal those who admit they need a doctor, who admit they're sick, who admit that that they're not God that they don't have all the answers, that they can't navigate this life without you. And we're thankful that Jesus came and he, he kind of exposes these things. He exposes the lies and, the, and, the, and the, the false beliefs of the Pharisees. And I pray today that you would comfort us as, as we've read this scripture and that maybe we've been challenged. Maybe we've been challenged in our faith. Maybe we've been challenged in our beliefs. I pray you would comfort us as you challenge us, but draw us to yourself. Even those of us who would profess faith, I pray that you would draw us near to you in relationship so we can taste and see that you're good and that you take people who are still blind in areas and give them sight, give them freedom, give them joy, give them hope and peace. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.